I'd like you to open your Bibles tonight again to Proverbs chapter 23. We're talking about the spiritual mind. The spiritual mind. How you think. And how you think is very, very important because the scripture says, as a man thinketh, in verse 7, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. The word heart and soul being the same word is as a man in himself or in his soul thinketh, so he is. So we're, we're talking about the, the process of thinking, the effect of thinking, how it affects us because we're shown here that it does. And we asked the question, well, how exactly, how does it do that? We know that, that we are as we think, but I mean, how? I mean, in, in what way does that work? And I started out by saying that, first of all, thinking involves images or pictures, that words form the images. If a word has no meaning to you, it doesn't have a picture, an image. You don't remember it. You, you don't keep it. But when you learn what a word means, a word has a picture, it has an image. And, and kids do that all the time. They, they play like they're somebody. They imagine themselves. They see themselves you can't see what they see, but they see something that they enjoy. They play act. They play like to something or they do that. Or we sometimes imagine what it would be like to, to have a million dollars and that type of thing. And boy, you could see yourself well-dressed and going somewhere in style and you'd be doing this and doing that. But that's the way we think. We think in pictures. We think in images. And it's important, so important that in Ephesians 1, as we have already said, Paul Paul said that, that God sends to his people or gives his people a, a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And knowledge, as we've said many times, is, is a zenith experience in Scripture right at the top. God wants us to know, to know and to understand and then to perceive or, or get the picture. But he said, God gives the spirit of wisdom and revelation to his people. And he says that the eyes of our hearts being enlightened. So there's a way that we see things on the inside that we don't see things on the outside. What I see out here now looking at you or walking through life is how we live. You know, physically, I mean, we see and watch and do and give turn signals and, and all that. But what I see on the inside is a result of what I think about. And if I think about it, chances are I will do it. A person who wants to steal thinks about the advantage he'll have if he steals or, or what he gets if he steals. Or a person who does what he can in the business world to get ahead, will step on people, whatever he has to do. He doesn't care about what people think because his desire is to see himself as that important person who has achieved and made it and all of that that everybody looks up to. If you think like that, that's chances are of what you'll do. We drew a picture last week on the board up here about uh, the, we drew the camera with the little lens here and this thing up here with a little viewfinder here and it goes like this something like that and little knobs and then the big screen over here which is your thoughts your mind over here projects on your thinking part I don't have the technical names for all of this I just know that I have a mind and that I think 
And, and what you have given yourself to think about is what you're seeing. It's how you look at things in life. And just remember, if you're a, if you're a new creature in Christ, if you're a new creature, if you've been saved, one of the things that God says we must do is to renew the mind. Now, when you got saved, you didn't get new film. Every saved man has the old film. All the old ways of life, all your past mistakes and all the things that grieved you, that upset you and bothered you, that's still inside here. The Bible says we have to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Otherwise, we will never know for sure what we ought to do because as a man thinketh, so is he. If I can get God's will to come into view and I can see it and stay with it until God forms that image inside of me, most likely that's what I'll do. I'll do what's right or I'll do what he shows me. It all depends on where I direct my thoughts. In my own life for 28 years, when I was 28 years old and I got saved for 28 years, I was just a man of the world like everybody else, thought like the world, dreamed of the world, sought the world, acted like the world, used the world. That's the kind of mind I have. It was called a natural mind. I had no real interest in God. Every now and then he would touch my heart and it would bother me, but I wasn't in church for that. I was in church because I was a basketball coach and I should be there because it's a good image, a good picture, people to see you in church. But when you get saved, when you get saved, things happen. We're told that our minds are to be renewed. I looked up the word renew, and interestingly, the word renew has to do with renovation. Changes everything from the way it was into a new way of seeing things. And that's what the Bible says. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. The Bible says, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, it is for us to make application of the word to our life. I mean, we, we got an opportunity here tonight. We got opportunities as often as you want to avail yourself to it, to hear what the Lord has to say, to deal with it, and we'll get to that in just a second, to think about it and ponder that so that we change from the way we are into the way he's showing us to be. That's Christianity. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. Now, turn to Psalms 1. Psalms chapter 1. Because this is sort of like a law of life, like a, a rule or a law that everybody lives by. As you think, so you are. You think about it. If a person lives and grows old with bitterness in their heart, why are they bitter? Well, they're bitter because some experience they had, something that happened in their past. Some harm was done, some ill was done, a thief, a robber, a death, an accident, an alcoholic, whatever it was, and, and took away something from their life and left them bitter. And, and they just see that. And they not only see that, but they see the damage that it did. And I just, just can't stand that person. That's why we, we want revenge. Because we see ourselves as a victim over here. And the only way to get rid of being a victim is to, <laughs> I guess, have revenge or get even. 
You never get over this. It's a cycle, a vicious cycle in life. If I could just do what I see, then I'd be all right. And yet, that didn't make it all right if you got even. Now you have to go to jail the rest of your life or, or whatever. The devil gives you things to think about. He gives you plenty of things to think about. How you were wronged, what's going to happen to you if you don't do this or do that. If you believe what God says in the Bible, look at yourself. You're not going to have any more friends. Nobody's going to like you. You're going to be isolated. You're much too young and gifted to, to give all that up just to do this. You can't let God have your life when you're young because you ought to live your life while you're young. You, you let God in your life when you're about 80. You know, you just relax and you're ready to go to heaven. I mean, people think like that. These are the pictures that they have. Or you hear something in the Bible in church. You say, well, that couldn't be true today. I mean, you can't say that God heals because look at all the people that aren't, that aren't healed. I mean, if God is as good as they say he is and he's as good as he says he is, then why so much evil in his world? It's a picture you get. It's a block to faith. You can't believe what God said because of these images that you have learned and, uh, and accumulated and formed in your life all these years. That's how you saw things. That's why you weren't a Christian. That's why you didn't go to church. You didn't believe all that stuff. Then one day when you started getting interested, it, it couldn't make sense. It just couldn't sort it out. That's what happens. And you, you begin to see yourself like that. You begin to see yourself as a victim. You see yourself as poor old you. Or you've been poor all your life, and you're never going to be anything but poor. And you learn to say, oh, I can't afford that. I can't go there. Well, that's too much, and this is, oh, you know, blah, 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 blah. And so you draw back. Whatever God puts in front of you, you tend to kick it out because it doesn't fit in your mind. It doesn't fit in your program. Your mind's your enemy. That's why it has to be renewed, because if it stays as it was, you'll live the way you were. Amen. So your mind has to be changed. The way you think has to be changed. All those old things have to go. You have to kick them out. God doesn't make them go away. He saves you and leaves you with all of that. You got a new heart, and you know it. Something new and, and wonderful has come into your life, and your struggles putting things together in your life is all due to the way you were raised, grown up, grown up, or the things that are in your mind and heart. They have to be changed. Because if you don't, you'll start forming your own opinions after a while and you'll kick out things like, well, God said, well, I don't know if I believe that God will do that or not. You go forward, you get prayed for, and the devil says, see, you weren't healed. You don't feel healed. You don't look healed. It's been, it's been a week. And you start thinking like that. And next thing you know, you're, you're wondering if any of this is really going to work at all. And the devil said, you know what? You might be in the process of being deceived. Somebody's telling you all this stuff that God does and God will do. <laughs> Open your eyes and look around. Look in the church where good people are. and he's not, That's not what's happening to those people. You ever heard that or thought like that? I mean, if God is a healing, blessing, all of that, then why amongst the really nice, good, caring people that you know is it not working for? It doesn't work. My grandmother, my grandfather, some could say I couldn't, but 
They were the most godly people I ever knew. They didn't die with any blessing or they weren't well and they didn't whatever. So the picture you see is, yeah, God said it. I can't deny he said it, but I'm just not sure to work. So you don't see yourself benefiting. You don't see yourself healed. You don't see yourself blessed. You sort of see yourself as one who is denied all of this because somebody told you God could, but he might not. And you're one of those might nots. That God, you know, we read in the Bible what he's done. You know he can and you know he has. You can't deny that. But then people say, well, look around and look at the church and who isn't getting any of these things you're talking about. So it, it's probably like this. God knows best what you ought to get. You pray whatever you want to, but let God make that decision. And that seems to be this hopeless folding of your arms in Christianity. And, well, no sense in praying that God will give me whatever he wants to. Then you go through life complaining about why some get blessed and you didn't. Why this seems to work for others. Or the preacher's talking about being blessed and you feel condemned and you want to write him a note about, well, your message condemns me. People see themselves like that. This is how people see themselves. You would have done a lot better if you hadn't listened to all of this stuff. Now it bothers you and you can't get it off of your mind. And the devil takes something which was good and tries to condemn you with it. You know, well, that condemns me or I don't feel blessed and all that. And God, when you put God's film in here, when you get off of that old self and flesh train of thinking, an evaluation of things like the world teaches you to. If, you know, if you can't prove it, it's not so. Truth is what is verifiable. If you can't verify something and it isn't so, things are changing. The way people act, the way people dress, the way people talk. And we've learned to say, well, you know, this is a new age. And that's just what we do today. And yet you read the Bible and God puts a big X on all this. That's, that's a no-no, all of that. All of that activity is condemned in, in Scripture. Well, I don't know that that's really what is meant by the Bible. That's the way you think. And when you start thinking that way, you get what we call a liberal mind in which nothing is sacred, nothing is in concrete. Even truth changes with times. What was true then is, may not be true today. And nothing is holy, nothing is absolute, and you're on sifting sand. There's no stand. I mean, your convictions are really nothing more than just opinions that you have. But when God, God gets in there, the picture you see with God is I can do all things through Christ. I can. He says you can. How can you see that? I can't see that. I can't see me doing all that because it's flawed. This is kind of dark. I need some uh, L-I-G-H-T, don't I? I need some light. You got to realize before I was born again, I lived in darkness. I was a product of the world. Every way I thought was evil continually. Everything about me was continually wrong. Even my efforts at doing good in church because I didn't do it unto the Lord. I did it for me. And it was evil. I come to the Lord. Now I realize that, man, I'm a horrible person. I was an awful person. 
I was indeed a criminal before God. I used God to look good and maybe get a better job. Oh, God. Lord, give me some light. And he, the Bible is light. The entrance of his word in any form, in any degree, is light. It's how we know what's right and how we know what's wrong. God's word casts light upon the way you live, the way you think, your choices, your aspirations, everything about us. The word of God, when it looks at it, casts light upon it. It exposes the darkness. It brings shadows into reality where you see that that was wrong all your life. You were trained like that. That was wrong. You begin to see the wrongs of your past and the wrongs of your life. And God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to realize that if it's lovely, if it's true, Philippians 4, 8, if there's any virtue, if there's any praise, think on these things. Quit seeing yourself as tough, about to get molested, about to get attacked, afraid of tomorrow, afraid of storms, afraid of the coming financial this, afraid of the health coming this and, and all this stuff that the media which and the darkness that's behind the media is so skillfully running the whole world into a fear. You're fear mongers. Quit seeing yourself as always on the bottom. Second Corinthians 10 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but what are they? They are mighty through God to the pulling down strongholds. All these things in your past, when you come to the Lord, all these things that you developed and accumulated for yourself and made yourself to be, they had a hold on you. They had a grip on you. Now, when God saved you, he forgave you of all the stuff you did. But you've got to get rid of the film. Because that's how the devil regains access. And all these old ways were strongholds. That's how he controlled you. That's why he told you it wouldn't work. You're going to die if you do that. This, oh boy, you might. And then what are you going to do if you don't have, well, I, oh. And then God comes along and he says, God didn't give you a spirit of fear. God hasn't given to the church a spirit of fear in 1 John 1. He gave us a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. A sound Mind, not a fluctuating, uncertain mind, but a sound mind, a, an established mind. That's what God gave us. When you let that mind which was in Christ also operate in you, you begin to see things God's way. You and God come to agreement. You start seeing things the way he sees. And the problem he pointed out in the Old Testament was, he said, your thoughts are not my thoughts. Remember Isaiah 55, 6 and 7 said, your thoughts are not my thoughts and neither are your ways my ways. You're not doing what I want you to do. I don't care what religious setting you're in because you're thinking up things to do that please you, which you think should please me. But he said, I'll show you the way to walk. I want you to do it that way. That's my way. But no, that's not good enough for you because you got a better way. Man always does, he thinks. There's always a way that seems right that's better than God's. So man begins to go about establishing his own way. And Paul says, you know, our warfare down here is with film. 
Our warfare is all about film. How you think. The way you figure things out. Your reaction to when you see something that reminded you of something 20 years ago. You know, the, the pain of a divorce. That ex-wife, that ex-husband and the things that they did and you haven't really gotten over it. And it drives you. And every time a name comes up, his name or her name, boy, you tighten up and here comes these old photographs back. While you're in church singing, great is the Lord, you're, and, and boy, you're going in a frenzy. Because you've never forgiven them. You can't get over your hurt and your wounds, and, and you have not said, I'm sorry, I forgive. You can't let go of your personal harm. Because your life is all about you. You're all wrapped up in yourself. And nothing that God says is acceptable to you unless you benefit from it in some way. Kids are like that with their parents. Some tragedies today with children and their parents, but it's going to get worse in the last days. Again, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Pulling down strongholds, how? How do you get rid of strongholds? Well, you, these strongholds in your life, they're certainly go-awayable. They don't have to stayable. They're go-awayable. But they will stay if you don't make them go. Are you with me? When I was saved, when I was saved, I had 28 years of indifference to God that ruled my life. When I came to the Lord, those things still want to rule. I still want to talk and yap and act ugly and drive too fast. I still want to do the same things I used to with the joy of the Lord. And it is a work of God to begin to show me because he can do this. He can interrupt your viewer. He wants to show you that you can't please me doing that. That's what conviction is called. That's why we repent, because God brings sorrow when he shows you what you're doing. That's not the way you were taught. Oh. And so slowly we begin to grow. Changes begin to take place if, listen to me, if, if you cast down these strongholds. I can't say this too much. And we've heard it enough, we quote it a lot, but it is still the, the weapons of world warfare, not carnal, they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. This is our major war, pulling down strongholds, things that prevent God from having his way by bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. What does that mean? Well, is Christ in you? Do you have the mind of Christ? Is the reality of his existence in you? Can you feed off the divine nature? Then there's something holy and divine in you. It's in there for a purpose. Not only is it in there to activate and energize, for God is at work in you, but it's also in there to cast light on what you're thinking about, how you're thinking. It begins to convict you of things you do or things you say or the way you said or the way you did it or where you're going to go and how you're going to go. What you're going to eat if you eat too much or what you're going to drink if you're given to that. 
the way you look at the girls, if you're one of those. God brings to light in your life things that must change. Are you with me? God casts light to you about the way you're thinking and what you're planning to do with your life, whether it's right or wrong. And this is what we call conviction. Your conscience begins to go, hmm. Remember the men that were going to stone that lady in John chapter 8? They were going to pick up rocks to stone her. And Jesus said, let him that is without sin among you cast the first stone. And the Bible said they dropped their rocks and walked off being convicted by their own conscience. Condemned or convicted by their own conscience. If we don't have a conscience that's open to God, we will never, we'll never make it. Because this is how God deals with us. The things that control us and defeat us are called strongholds. You got to get rid of them. You can't ignore them and say, well, who's perfect? You can't do that. Because God wants you to be perfect. Well, you know, I've been like that all my life. I don't, no, that's not good enough. That controls you and makes you lazy and indifferent. That's not acceptable to God in any of us. So God deals with us. He casts light on our actions and our thoughts and our deeds. He shows us the way we're living and why we live that way. It's because we think that way. We dismiss ourselves from a deeper life or a holy life or really putting effort. You know, and he says, no, your ways are not my ways. Come on, get on the ball. Or I will lovingly chastise you. Remember that one? For whom he loves, he whips occasionally. I mean, he chastises. And no chastisement, Hebrews writes, no chastisement for the present seems to be joyous. But what? Grievous. It's not fun. He's changing you. He's dealing with these things that control you. And he takes you to the woodshed, not only because he showed you that, but to get you to deal with it. You're going to deal with it. And he shows you that and he makes you miserable. And things don't go right for you. You feel like you're down in the dumps. God doesn't love me anymore. Where's the Lord? Nothing's wrong. You're being chastised. Now, later, he says, it will yield a peaceable fruit in your life called righteousness. You're no longer in righteousness. He makes you righteous. You got like righteousness. I mean, this is Kentucky. You know, the people out there make jokes of us all the time. So let's give them something to feed on. All right. Now, are you in Psalm 1? All right, Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man. Now, tonight we're going to talk about success. The word sounds good, doesn't it? Doesn't success sound better than chastisement? I like success. I do. I like success. I like to see me successful. I'm afraid far too many people see success as measured in terms of dollars and cents. You got a lot of money. And there's a whole lots of wealthy people in this world who are miserable failures. I mean, you look at their families, their life, the control of themselves. They're failures. They can't make it, and they won't. Well, they got money. Well, that's good. I'm glad they do. Because the Bible says the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. So... He said, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, 
Boy, you could make a whole lot out of that. I don't want to make you too uneasy tonight. But I will say this. The fear that controlled us in the past is the same kind of fear that wants to control us in the present. And the reason people reject this idea of being healed is because of fear. They do. The reason churches have governments like the world has government is because of fear that somebody will take over. And they've got to have checks and balances. Because if you don't have checks and balances, you know, the preacher might take over or whatever. It's fear. We, we grew up like this. We grew up with fear. It's fear in everything. He said, blessed is a man who walketh not in the counsel of ungodly. What if I told you that there are ungodly doctors? Is it possible that a man to be a well-educated, proper man in the medical world and be a heathen? How about a highly educated theologian in a seminary? Could he be a heathen? Huh? How's this possible? Well, it's easy. There's a lot of people out there who have no regard for the Bible and its truth and its way. They're largely dependent on their convictions and their opinions. And they will talk you out of your faith, talk you out of healing, or talk you out of a lot of things and tell you that if you do what God says, chances are, this is your picture. In a box with your arms folded flat, you'll die. That's fear. Fear of dying. Fear of losing. Fear of messing up. Fears of what if. And there are counselors in our life. People have counseled us that way all of our lives. And the one place that counsel should be changed and see something different is in the church. Because if we speak not according to his word, then we're still in darkness. That's Isaiah 8, verse 20. If they speak not according to this word, and remember, words form images, don't they? You know, we pray for people, say, well, now, don't do anything crazy now. Don't do anything crazy. What would just say? Just trust the Lord. Because what if it doesn't work and the person you prayed for trusts the Lord and they die? Then what? Fear. So we change our theology to fit our experience, and we preach a gospel which leaves out some of what Jesus did in the atonement. And we live below the level. We're not successful in experiencing healing in the church. Most people in the church don't even believe it's possible. They believe it has happened. They believe it could happen. They don't believe it will. And Jesus said, when you play, believe you have received. Somebody has talked us out of that. Now, Scripture says... Blessed is a man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners. That's not the crowd you hang with. They also will talk you out of it. Nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, listening to the latest political talk show, learning how to gripe, learning how to complain, learning how to think bad about anybody in office. I can't use my dad's words, but my dad used to say they ought to lock up 
all politicians for five years because they're all a bunch of crooks. Paraphrase what he said. Because in his mind, somewhere in his life, he had seen and heard of, you know, they're thinking about preachers. Anybody who's in authority anywhere, somebody knows somebody who used to do that who did this. And the picture they have is that, of, yeah, I bet you're all the same. So they lose their respect. They can't give heed to what was said because they're ruling their own thinking. And they won't let go of seeing things God's way. So they're corrupt in their minds. And when God said, this is the way you walk in it, they said, well, you know, I don't know about that. You obviously don't. Because in your life, you've been around somebody whose counsel was ungodly. You chose to hang around the good old boys. And you sit in the seat of the scornful, talking about politics and crooks. And it invades your mind. And instead of seeing things that are pure and clean and so forth, forget who's in the ruling in the world. Christ is ruling. How many believe that Jesus is in control of this world? There's men out here that are making a lot of noise, but God is in control. And he sets up over this world whoever pleases him to rule. You don't elect anybody to rule. God puts them there. The Bible says that. He can pull down. He can pull up. He can put into the basis of men. He can put a righteous man. God's the one that does it. We don't rule this earth. God's in charge. Now, if you think like that, you're relieved of all the pressure of, oh, where we go? You just say, hey, leave it up to God. God will take care of it. Did he say his angels would surround you and keep you and protect you? Psalm 91. He shall give his angels charge concerning you. They'll keep you in half of your ways. Thank you. All of your ways. Otherwise, you'd dash your foot against a stone. You'd be hurt. God said, no, not with you. I want you to see yourself in the light that God shows you. I want you to pull down all these strongholds. And I want you to realize you've got to maintain your life. You've got to keep yourself clean. You've got to keep yourself pure. You've got to withdraw from companions who shouldn't be your companions. How many of you know the Bible still teaches separation? That come out from among them and be ye what? Separate, saith the Lord and touch not the unclean thing and so forth. you got to make that decision because your mind is precious. Because what people talk to you about and how you respond to people, that's who you are. I can't tell you in my life, the last three or four months, I didn't know I was going to teach on this, but now I, I think back, how many times I've been really convicted having left a conversation. You know, went in a store to do something and you get to talking around. Next thing you know, you're yakking about stuff you not only don't know anything about, but you got no business talking about that stuff. Leave it alone. Well, how would anybody know? You know, no, I was a good guy if I did. I don't think that's your whole purpose to being a good guy. I know how to do that. But the point of it is, this is who success is going to be for because in verse 2, he says that he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Remember that? A leaf doesn't fade and so forth. Fruit is always born in a season. 
And verse 2 says, in his word, he meditates day and night. Remember that? Meditates. This is how God is telling us tonight that you can transform your thinking and find a whole new, joyful, peaceful experience in your tomorrows. It's not positive thinking. It's not some book that somebody wrote. It's what the Bible teaches. It's scripture. It says in verse 2, he avoids people that he should not be around. In verse 2, he says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he doth meditate. Let me point out two or three things here about Psalm 1. First of all, it's about his character. The character of the person being spoken of here. This doesn't work for anybody. You've got to do number one before you get to number two. If number one's not in your heart, this won't work. Because you cannot use the Bible for gain. You live according to it. So his character is that he, he recognizes the influence of leaven in his life and he avoids it. He does not want to, for the sake of being a good guy, allow stuff in his life that God has to judge. So he avoids that. He wants to keep himself clean. The second thing that we see in Psalm 1 is that his delight, the word means pleasure, what he finds pleasure in. His delight is in the word of God. Now that's second requirement. This is why Psalm 1 doesn't work for a lot of people. The first two conditions are more than difficult for a lot of people. Separation from trash talk to junk talk to worldly talk to worldly people and that influence. And secondly, you delight in the word of God. You can't manufacture that. God has to give you that. And if you want it, he'll give you that. His delight is in the law of the Lord. It's what he enjoys. It's something you enjoy, the Word of God. You enjoy it. I love it. I like it. It brings pleasure to me not only to hear again and again. It never gets old. To hear again the words of God, which are treasures to his people. And the third thing that he says here, he meditates. Meditates. Let me give you the definition I gave you two weeks ago. Meditate means to ponder. It means to think of. It's just thinking about it. It's pondering something. One man said this. He desires to understand what is meant by what he's meditating on. Does that make sense? What God said that he is meditating or pondering or thinking about, he does it because he really wants to know what it means. I'm not trying to memorize it. Though if I think about it often enough, it will become a part of my thinking. And it will be in my memory, in my hard drive. But I desire to know what he meant by that. I may be in a crisis in my life. There may be something serious going on. And so I go to the word and I find a word that deals with this crisis. A promise that God has made concerning whatever it is I'm dealing with. Whether it's health, money, raising children, marriage, God has a word, does he not? Has a word for everything. We are never left without a word from God in anything we'll ever face in this world. 
So I go find that word. It may not be real to me when I find it. Maybe it's healing. I'm the Lord that heals you. And you think, you know, I've, I've been like this for so long. I've been having had this particular problem for so long. I, I, don't, I don't know if it can be healed. And in my thinking, I've just adjusted myself to live like this. Where it's going to be. That's a lie. Let me tell you something. There is no condition, no situation, no anything that is so far gone that it cannot be fixed. Only God can say that. If somebody one time cuts your head off and you've been headless all these years, God can put your head back on your shoulders and connect your, all of your apparatus, your oblongata, medulla oblongata. He can put that back on there and all those nerves and nerve. He can put it all back together so it works better than it used to. So there's nothing that's too far. I mean, raising the dead, you know, dying is, is it, that's it. When you're dead, you're dead. God raises the dead. So nothing's too far. So he gives us things like that to think about. But when I hear that, I think about my condition. Maybe it's a lung problem. I had that once. I can use that as an example where you're coughing up blood and, and constantly having colds and corruption, have no health, your immune system is pretty weak, best years of your life, and you're going through that. And if I'd heard this then, I would have thought, no, I don't believe that. I'm sure God could do that. He, he ain't going to do it for me because I've never had anything. I've never been known to have anything. I'll never be able to have anything. You know, some people get well, some people get sick, and I'm one of those that got sick, and I'm just, I'm sure I'll die this way. That's the picture you have. It's a picture that is without a revelation of Jesus Christ. No light. But when light comes, when light comes and God shines in your heart and says, I really am the Lord who healed you at the cross, your first reaction is probably, well, whew. I, I see it there, and I'm, I'm glad about this, but, Lord, I, I don't get it yet. In other words, I don't see me like that yet. I see what you said, but I don't see me like you said. I know you can. I know you're willing and all of that, but I, my problem is me. So what do you do? How does faith come? Let me give you a little word here. You can write this down if you want. Faith doesn't make things easy. It just makes things possible. You get that? It makes it possible. And the only reason it's possible is because God authors it. And if he said it can be, then it shall be. And so you look at this healing word and you ponder it. Because faith comes by hearing. It may not come the first time. It may not come the second time. But you think about it. And you go to one of your friends in the church. What do you think about what's said? You know, well, that's kind of the way I'm saying it. But what do you think? I don't know about And you can't get away from the fact that God says they're both wrong. So you go back and you, and you get your Bible out and you sit down because I want to know what this means. I want to see me like that. I want to picture me well. Forever. So, well, there's a way to do it. 
Shut down the world, get along with the Lord, open his Bible, and read. And read it slow. Find other verses that say the same thing from, from Exodus to Deuteronomy to Psalms, Proverbs, Matthew, A. Read them all and read them real slow. Then ask yourself questions. This is how we meditate. This is how we ponder. Ask yourself questions. Now, who's he talking to? Does that word healing there mean healing from sin? I mean, sin sick? Or is he talking about physically healed? Now, I want to rightly divide this because I've taught that. And so you, you read it again and you read it again. How many of you know that it's the work of the Holy Spirit to bring a revelation? That you cannot get a revelation without the Holy Spirit. And he brings it. Pop. And one day, hallelujah, I'm healed. That's usually the day I threw away my medicine. If I had any, Bonnie threw it away before I could even do all this, but that's the way I did it. When this word became a living truth in my heart, when my heart was enlightened, when the entrance finally of this word gave light to me, it was the obvious right way. And now for me, everything else is a wrong way. This is, for me, this is the only right way. Other people may not be here. They don't see it this way. That's their business. But for me, this is the way I got to live. So you begin to walk this way. And then the testing and the trial comes. I'm still in Psalm 1. I'll be back in a minute. So the testing and the trial come. <coughs> see, I see you thought you, you didn't get healed. But now you learn how to fight because the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal things. They are mighty through God. God's given me something to fight with. It's called a sword and a what? And it quenches half, at least half the fiery darts of the devil. Actually quenches all of them. And you're not just singing about swords and shields and memorizing swords and shields and amen when swords and shields. You're starting to think this is a reality that is in my heart. I can be what God says I can be. It shall be even as it was told me. That's what God said. Now I'm starting to think right. I'm getting my thinker right. I'm beginning to see things God's way and quit fighting God. I'm beginning to, you know what, it makes sense. If God said, then it has to be so. It's nice to have a companion. I mean, Bonnie and I have been walking this way for 40 plus years. It has to work. If it worked for me, it works for anybody. It doesn't work because I'm a preacher. And it doesn't work because it's worked this far. It'll never stop. You know, you've got to fight every day. Meditation is when you desire to understand the meaning of what God said. I want to see it and perceive it. That it also means that you have pleasure in reflecting on it, thinking about it. It is not a subject which you put away from yourself or in respect to which he is indifferent. But he keeps this word, the things that God says, he keeps this word before his mind. And he has satisfaction in doing it. But there was one thing I would pray for tonight at least that I would pray for this assembly right here is that all of us would love his word. Amen. And not try to use it, but to love it. Amen. I want to know what you meant. I want to know what God said. 
I want to hide this word in my heart. I want my mind and my thinking and my actions to be transformed and changed by the power and the influence of this word. I want this to be my life. If there's anything I would want to be noted for in this life, is that he kept the faith. You live by the word. What else is greater than that? Talk about success. That would be a great one. See, the consequence of doing what I just said is verse 3 of Psalm 1. He shall be. This is what happens. This is the work of God. If you do verses 1 and 2, this is what God does. Boy, I'd like to know more. But anyway, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. And help me, whatsoever... He doeth shall prosper. Is that really possible? Is it? It is if you meet the conditions, verse 1 and 2. I don't know a lot of people that do that, but if you do, you will be like a tree that's by the river where you got a constant source of life. There's life in water. And you're drawing from that life all the time, so there's never a time you're, that you're in a drought. No droughts. No downtime here. We're talking about always flourishing. I'm like uh, a tree planted by the water. I shall not be moved and so forth. And while he's planted there by that and drawing from that water, God says, likened to a tree, Back to you now. Whatever you do, whatever you do will prosper. Wow. Whatever I do will prosper? The word for prosper there is also the word for success. In Scripture, it also has to do with being successful. How do you define success? What is success? Success is having a chicken in every pot Two cars in every garage, make another one, if you have one, and having plenty of money, smart children, and living in a mansion. That's success. I'll tell you this, a lot of people have that. And they're miserable. And no man who is miserable is successful. No man who is miserable is successful. The word success technically means to reach one's goal, to attain to something that is your aim in life, to reach it, to get there, to find on your journey of life what it is you're looking for and get it. That's what success is. One dictionary said it's the attainment of one's goals, the fulfilling of all your goals. My question is, what is our goal? We can get bogged down in a routine, in a, in a religious rut, going to church and doing this and doing that. What is our goal? What are we after? What do we want? Can we really say, I aspire? My life gives evidence to the fact that I aspire to be like Jesus, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ? Can we say that's what we want? 
See, that's a noble goal because that's the one the Bible gives us. To grow up into him in what? Say all things. All things. To grow up into him. Growth is a process. It starts when you get saved and it continues on until the Lord comes. Growing, changing, redoing, renovation. Going from one way that was judged to be wrong to a new way that is praised for being right. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. It's a life. And it's a life that we live. If we live it according to his word, it'll be a life of success because our goal is to be what he wants us to be. What if I told you there are people in the world with many talents and opportunities and so forth, when they come to Christ, they're willing to walk away from anything and everything they once aspired to be like or have, just, if nothing more, to be a janitor in the house of God. I only want to serve the Lord on his terms in a way that would please him I want to bring pleasure to the Lord. I want the Lord to truly, as the Bible says, to delight in me or to find his pleasure in me. I want the Lord in the midst of me to sing with me the praises of God. What I read in the Bible is so good because the end is perfect. The end is eternal life. It is perfect. There is nothing possible known to anybody greater than eternal life. Life with God where he is forever and ever and ever. To get there, you got to undo all these strongholds, unshackle yourself and live the life. I'm not saying that you're saved because you earned your salvation. I'm not saying you're saved because you believe God. But you don't believe God because you said you believe God and you sit in your chair the rest of your life. There'll be activity in your life. You'll be desiring to do what God wants. This is how we know. God wants us to know that if you want to be successful, read Psalm 1. Because that's what God honors. That's the kind of person's life that he looks for to say, I like that. Uh, The person who is willing to put God first, God only in his life. Now, I think there's a lot of really good people in the church. And I say good meaning saved people. They're not trying near as hard as they could. They're not really putting much effort into it. Just about made God an option. We should, we ought to, but if we don't, it's all right. God wants us to give our whole heart to God. With our whole heart, our life, everything turned over to him. There's one word that I would use to describe what success is in the church. Because I do not believe success is talking about necessarily having a lot of money, a lot of fame and fortune. That could be to some degree. But there's so much more in the Bible about your character, the kind of person God wants you to be. God isn't coming back for the rich and famous. A man's life, Jesus said, does not consist in the abundance of things he's got. Some people know how to believe for a lot of things. They know how to give it away. They're not ruled by it. I don't mean easy come, easy go, but it is easy come and easy go. And God can trust them. With, you know, you claim a new this or three of them or four of them or a trip here or a, 
or that down there, and God gives it into your life, and yet you're still the same God-centered person as you used to be. You just learn to thank God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Richly. If he's given that to us to enjoy, I certainly want him to be pleased with me enjoying that. So I think like that. I think like that. As you do, you begin to see things his way. The word is contentment. There's three verses of scripture I want you to quickly see. Philippians 4.11. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11. Are you content in your current state of life? Well, I don't have much. Are you content? A lot of people would say I'm kind of pouring down. Are you content? Are you a Christian? Yes. Are you content serving God? See, it doesn't mean because right now things are tight or not going, it doesn't mean it stays like that. That's the way it is now. If you're believing God, you're waiting on something better. It pleases your Father to give you the kingdom of God. Your Father knows, he said in Matthew 6, that you have need of all these things, and he'll give them to you. But seek first the kingdom. So as far as things are concerned, you I don't have much to say. Are you content? Are you settled and peaceful on the inside knowing you are on the right track? You are where God has met you and where God wants you to be. Philippians 4.11, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am there to be content. Did your Bible say that? Have a smile on your face. I read a quote that says something like this, that a man who is walking with Jesus and is content has a smile on his face. Not because a bill that he wishes would hurry up and get paid would get paid or a nagging this would go away. He smiles because he is waiting on the Lord to do it. Faith is the substance of what you expect to happen. First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 8. To the right there, a couple books, First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 8, and having food and raiment therewith, let us be what? Content. There's nobody in this room, there's no person in this room that millions of people in the world wouldn't trade places with you. There are people in countries that have never had light. They suffer their generational sufferings. They have suffered for years because of what they've been taught of the error and the misinformation and the wrong religion and the way they were trained living in dark places. And they've never had nothing but woe and uncertainty their whole life. It'll be like that with them and their children forever. The only hope they could ever have is light, a revelation of Jesus Christ. That's their only hope. Us too. But when it comes, you begin to get the light. You walk in that light. Even though you don't have much, you're not doing so well, or you're in like Paul was in a jail. He didn't have a lot of stuff when you're in jail. But he was content. Always with a smile on his face. Always ready to talk about Jesus. That's his life. He didn't care if he had all the cattle on a thousand hills or all the maters and taters in those hills. 
He had something lodged in his heart that was a greater joy than anything else because it was real. It was eternal life. His name was in heaven, and one day that name would be spoken when Jesus come, and you call your name out, and you, you're there forever. Well, I praise God. What is a new suit of clothes compared to that? What is a new Cadillac DVL? They even, I don't know if it makes such a thing anymore. But what is a new anything compared to that? That's eternal. This other stuff, as you see, the junk lot, the junkyards are full of old cars that were once to treasure somebody. But this is an unending treasure. Content. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. Let your conversation or your manner of life or your behavior be without covetousness and be content with such things as you had. Because I think this, a lot of people are never content. They're always trying to get more. It's not wrong to have more. It's wrong to get it in the wrong way. The proverb speaks to this. I don't want to go back in there. But there is a way of getting things. It's a wrong way. And they rise up and destroy you. Covetousness is a terrible, fatal disease of sin. Because you're greedy. You can't have enough. You always want more. You live to get. And you get for self. I want to be. I want to have. I want to eat, drink, and be merry. I want to build a new barn, put all my goods in it, sit back and say, so you've done well. Hey, man, kick back and take your ease. You're good. Remember what God said to him? He said, you fool. You fool. You've accumulated all this world's goods that makes you happy. You cannot take a pebble to heaven and you're going to die and leave it to somebody who's going to destroy it and ruin it and have a big time with it. You stored it up. You hid all of it that you could and you, well, this is what you're counting on to get you through life. <laughs> One day, and this might happen in America, the bottoms drops out of our savings accounts and the dollars and $10 and $20 bit. It just goes downhill and then, oh, we're going to fall apart. No. Would you say praise the Lord? Do you hear what they're trying to do in Congress? I could care less. I know what God said he would do. God is in charge, isn't he? To God. I don't care who's elected, who's going to go, who's trying to be. God is in charge. It is not them he said he would give charge to his angels to keep. It's to us. And if God be for us, who can be against us? Our greatest fear is we're going to lose something. It all belongs to God anyway. If you've got to walk away from it, walk away from it. Well, I couldn't walk away from my new home. You might be surprised what you could walk away from. Amen. Let me close with this because I don't have time to, to do all this tonight. This word content is used here in 1 Corinthians 12. First night. Paul was talking about his thorns. Or God said this to Paul. He said, my grace is what? Sufficient. The word sufficient and the word content are the same words. Quit beating yourself over the head about all the troubles you're having, Paul, ministerially. I didn't tell you it's going to be easy. When I knocked you off of that horse on the road to Damascus, I told Ananias what great things this man will 
suffer for my name's sake. So don't think it's strange concerning the suffering you're going through. This is not a life of ease. For some, it's a difficult place. But you'll make it when you get your heart right, when you get peace in your heart as a result of God's word being lodged there, and you won't fear tomorrow. Because God is for you. God is with you. God is leading you. Never leave you nor forsake you. He's already in all your tomorrows. We're more than conquerors through Christ. Can you see that? Whoa, look at you. You're more than a conqueror. No evil shall befall you. No plague will come near your dwelling because God will give his angels charge over you and they will keep you in all your ways. All your ways. And he shall prosper in whatsoever he doeth. Boy, I tell you, there's some more to say here. We didn't even get to Joshua. Whoo, bring your tennis shoes next week. You might want to run. Because this excites me. It does. It really, really does. Stand to your feet. Praise the Lord. And then greet somebody before you go and say, my needs are met in Jesus' name. And you're free to go home. God bless all of you. Amen. <laughs>